When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. everybody how you doing well that's good you're listening to phly flyers brought to you by mortgage cs check out mortgagecs.com slash phly to start your home buying process today company nmls id number 1464766 my name is bill Matz. i'm your director of fun and games for the evening joining me as always philadelphia's number one hockey beat reporter it is charlie o'connor what's going on today chuck is it really an evening when we're doing the show at 11 30 a.m you know it's for <laughs> it's for uh continuity okay you know i don't know what day no, I, I know i mean i don't know what day it is i have to time. integrate this whole new thing that i gotta say at the beginning <laughs> i really can't switch up my intro that much more than i already have uh and we're not gonna switch up we're gonna we're gonna play the hits today no it's we we have a lot to talk about because we haven't really done a non-post game like we've done well like two in the last two weeks this yeah, is our we, only we had the one show this with, week. Uh, with kelly last yeah. week and that was the only non-post game and this week is again this is the only this non-post is the only game. one what it is Number one, we look at our weeks, including Sunday in the previous week, and we have five shows a week. So because they're playing Saturday and Sunday, Sunday counts. But also, it's just the fact that you have the bye week coming. And this is what the NHL... They're playing four games instead of three games a week. Yeah, basically, this is what the NHLPA is willing to sacrifice in order to get the bye week. And I think that's fair. The players want to have a week off. They want to be able to you know, go to Cabo or whatever and have a vacation in the middle of the winter. And that's cool. But... As a kind of a punishment, they have to play a lot of games in January to make up for the fact that they're not playing for a week, and we just have to deal with the fact they play a lot of games in January. Feels, it feels as if we're leading up to a like Olympic break, and there is no Olympic break. It's just like, yeah, there's going to be like eight days without a game, which is pretty cool. I'm really looking forward to having like a whole bunch of nights off in a row. That's going to be dope. Uh, but the schedule right now is a little arduous, not actually for me. Like I, I This is all I do. So, but just like the team's schedule, but we actually get to take a little break, take a breath, step back. Don't have to wear that dog mask this 
that dog mask today. I, I'm never good with the mirroring. Like, <laughs> I don't know which way is which. Don't have to wear the dog mask. Didn't start a show with Wu today for the first time in four games, which is yeah. nice. So let's get into a little deeper uh, something we talked about on Monday. And it is it's the thing that's everywhere on uh, Flyers Twitter. It's one of the main topics of discussion at the moment. And it starts with the report. I think it was maybe talked about a bit prior, but really it was the Elliot Friedman report that teams are saying when they call the Flyers about Nick Sealer, the Flyers are like, yeah, what do you think of Sean Walker? (laughs) (laughs) You know, basically that seems to be what it's going and it's leading teams at least to the belief that uh, Nick Sealer, the Danny Breer and company are going to try to re-sign Nick Sealer. And we talked about a bit about this on Monday, uh, but now the reaction to it there's been a lot of, I mean, there are people like me, like earlier in the season, a couple weeks ago, you asked me, okay, you're all in on the playoff thing. What would it take for you to say they're betraying the rebuild? And I said, you have to trade Sealer and Walker. Like, that's what you do. (laughs) Like, that's, I don't care what the circumstances. These are non-premier players with expiring contracts in a rebuild. Right. This is what you do. Right. It very much sounds like, I mean, going back to your discussion with Danny Briere, there's a big old for sale sign in front of Nick, in front of Sean Walker. Yeah. Nick's, Especially now that Jamie Drysdale. Yeah, now with Jamie Drysdale here and offense producing right-handed defenseman who's eight years younger, like yeah, dynamic talent. Sean Walker's gone. I think we can all pretty much see the writing on the wall for that one. This Nick Sealer thing, it seems to have have really struck a chord. Some people are like, no, this is absolutely asinine. Next year's going to be his age 31 season. You don't re-sign a dude who, like, what's he great at? Blocking shots? You know, you don't do that in a rebuild. Other people having a conversation. Well, what are you really going to get for Nick Sealer? Is it the worst thing in the world if you keep him around? And that gets to the idea of this value in return for Sealer. Mm-hmm is a second or third round pick like you have to have it no this is not the nfl where you get starters with second and third yeah round but picks. it's a totally different draft model absolutely but like you do need those things right like you need these picks i i think the thing with uh, like the mid-round picks are both underrated and overrated by fans they're yeah. underrated because they're valuable to have both as potential future trade assets and by basically just giving you more darts to throw at the dartboard. Because look, I've argued on multiple occasions that you can't get mad when a third round pick busts because the vast majority is it of, even a bust? The vast majority <laughs> of third round picks bust. That's why they lasted to the third round. And that's true. You can't yeah, like you can't yell at Ron Hextall because his third round pick didn't pan out. It's like, okay, you're hoping they do, but it's not the expectation. The expectation is not that a third round pick is going to make the NHL and be an impact player. However, there are third round picks that make the NHL and are impact players. And what stockpiling, you know, second, third, fourth round picks allows you to do is it allows you to take more shots at the dartboard, allows you to have more throws. And the more opportunities you have, the more chances you have to strike it rich on the guy I brought up in the pre-show was Braden Point, but he's certainly not the only one. You named a bunch. Nikita Kucherov went 58th, Braden Point, 79th, third round. Carter Hart, 48th, Henrik Zetterberg, 200. 
110th. Brett Hull, 117th. Datsuk, 171. Lundquist, 205. Jamie Ben, 129. Mark Stone, 178. Kaprizov, 175. These are dudes you get in the back end of the draft. A lot of these are not even second and third. We're talking fourth, fifth yeah. round picks. You know, it's like... For organizational depth, I think it's just important to have your, I always think of Taylor Lear. Like, is Taylor Lear anything? No. But yeah, a couple good weeks. No, but like, remember the honeybees. when someone gets hurt, it would be cool to bring up someone like that rather than like, oh, we're going to have Rhett Gardner play five minutes. Like, it's nice to have those organizational depth pieces. And like you said, you never know who's going to hit. You could always find one of these dudes who just happens, and that's the type of luck you need to win a cup or be in the cup conversation for a long period of time. We're talking about long-term planning here. Right. For so long, it was like, all the Flyers do is put Band-Aids on things. Having these dudes in your organization, and a lot of them, can lead to a better chance at having a tampa-like run yeah i don't think the third round picks because i i do believe that the the likely range they would get back in a nick sealer deal would be on the high end a second round pick if someone really really wants nick sealer they fall in love with them whatever and the low end is probably like a fourth like if, if the market's just not there like someone will give you a fourth for nick sealer yeah I would guess they probably get back a third. That would be my expectation. I think that's a fair assumption. I haven't really gone into the comparables, but I do that every year. I'll, I'll have an article out probably sometime in February looking at you know what comparable players uh, for Nick Sealer and Sean Walker have gone for, comparable rentals have gone for the trade deadline. I would expect, without doing that research, that that will turn up that it's about a third. That's the expectation for guys to get the kind of minutes that Sealer's gotten this year, the kind of production, that have the kind of cap hit, things like that. That said, we're talking about a third-round pick as being valuable but not crushing if they don't get it. It's not, and this goes back to what I said on, on Monday, where it's that if they don't trade Nick Sealer, and if they re-sign Nick Sealer, I am not going to be screaming from the rooftops that the organization is, is foolish, that this is the stupidest thing ever, this is Ristoline in part two, that it's insane. I'm not going to be... Yeah, they're not I, giving him $5 million. Yeah, like, I'm not going to be livid, and I don't think fans should be livid. However, I do think that fans can look at it, if they so choose, and say, this is not what they should do and i think they can be reasonably critical of the idea of bringing back nick sealer because it's not the best way to manage assets in the sense that and i made this point on monday i see if you resign nick sealer i think there are two possible ways there, there's two mo the two most likely ways it plays out are both bad not franchise crippling bad but bad Suboptimal like, like, outcomes. Outcome number one is you give Nick Sealer a little over like two mil a year on a two, three year deal. And then by next year, he's functioning as the seven because Emil Andre or Adam Yinning or Ronnie Adder has proven ready to get a look. And suddenly the only guy you can bench is Nick Sealer. So you have an overpaid number seven functioning as a culture guy, which again, doesn't kill you. It's, it's a minor overpay, but it's still an overpay, and you'd rather a team avoid overpays. Outcome number two is that Nick Sealer, because he's such a torts guy, 
never gets out of the lineup, and then you don't have the opportunity to see what you have in an Emil Andre or an Adam Yenning or a or Adam Jenning is now what he wants to be called. My bad. That's actually the way you're supposed to pronounce his name is Yenning. He said he wants to be called Jenning, so fine, you're Jenning or Ronnie Adder. Or, and I'm not saying this is going to happen, but you know, let's say Oliver Bonk gets to training camp next year. He's having a really good year for London. Let's say he gets to training camp next year and kills it great in preseason and the flyers are like well oliver we'd love to have you we think you're basically ready but like another year in juniors isn't going to kill you because where are you going to play they love nick sealer and he has to be in the lineup every game like those are the two outcomes that worry me either he's going to block people or he's going to be an overpaid seven and neither of those are good in my mind, again, not franchise crippling. It's not going to kill them to pay a number seven a little bit too much. It might not even kill them if Emil Andre is blocked because who knows if Emil Andre is even an NHL defenseman? We don't know. But in my mind, those aren't ideal outcomes for the future of the organization, which is why I am moderately opposed to the idea of re-signing Nick Sealer, even though I like Nick Sealer. No, and that's like, I think it's important, like, if we're going to have this discussion about Sealer, you framed it like, this is not the end of the world. No, it's not. This is not something I'm going to be, again, like, I'm not going to be standing in front of the skate zone with a picket sign, yeah. like, freaking out about. There, there are, wor- it's there just are like, worse things than having an overpaid seven and not getting an extra third round pick. It's just like, one, I don't want the organization believing their own bullshit. Like, they're telling us, no, we understand we're in a rebuild. We get that we have to look towards the future, even though things are going well right now. It is about like putting a cup contender together in a few years. Right. That's number one. Number two is in order in order to compete for years at a time, have a long wing window, you need assets both to constantly be restocking your organizational depth as well as Assets to spend when you need to go buy something, whether that's cap space or picks and prospects to trade at the deadline you need. Okay, well, we're going into the playoffs and it would be real nice to have a 3C. We really don't have one of those. Like, oh, we can go get one. It's nice to have that luxury. And that's where those mid-round picks come in. Just looking at just looking at last year's trade deadline. Minnesota got Oscar Sundquist for a fourth. Buffalo got Jordan Greenway for a two and a five. The Jets got Nemestikov for a fourth. Pittsburgh got Granlin for a second. That was a really bad trade, it, though. I, I'm just, <laughs> it's a terrible I'm, trade. I'm just saying, <laughs> it's like if you these are the things. Like if you have those picks, you can make those trades, and then it's like, and then we still get to draft some guys right. so that the Phantoms aren't a bare cupboard of nothing but Cooper yeah. Marodis in a few yeah. years. And, and you have, like, we can talk about, and I am of the belief that third-round picks generally don't pan out. That is the the average outcome of a third-round pick. However, we're all real excited about Denver Barkey right now. Third-round pick. That's You made the point earlier, like, you can't get mad at Ron Hextall because his third-round pick didn't pan out. And I would say each individual third round pick, you cannot get mad at Agreed. because that's ridiculous. Agreed. But over, say, a three or four year span, 
somewhere in that second, third, and fourth round, you have to have found yes. somebody. I agree. You would like you need yeah. to find those guys yeah. if you're going to have a, a team that functions in the cap world at all. No, I agree with that because that's the whole thing is that if you are going to— And that's where the stockpiling if, comes If in. you're going to contend, you need to get one of those unexpected guys. You know, we see it with, with Tampa. We've mentioned a couple of these guys, but, like, yes, Tampa had— Stamkos and Hedman, they had the the top five pick stars, and that's great. But they also had the Kucherov you get in the second round, the Braden point you get in the third. You need some of those guys to dramatically exceed expectations. And well, if you only have one third round pick and one fourth round pick, can you get one of those guys? Sure, you can. You might just get lucky. But if you have three third round picks, then you have a better chance of getting lucky. And I think that is the that's the hope. And I do believe that the Flyers, you know, and Danny Breer and the Flyers understand the value of stockpiling assets. I think they get it. I think they understand. Like, I am of the belief that they are going to very much try to go into this draft with three first-round picks. Now, whether they actually use all three first-round picks, I don't know. Right now, they have two. They have theirs, and they have Florida's, as long as Florida doesn't end up with a lottery pick, which, given how good they look, I don't think that's going to happen. Be shocked. I think they are going to do whatever they can to try to get a third. Now, whether that's getting one for Sean Walker, whether that is, you know, maybe you reopen the possibility of trading Scott Lawton. I don't know, but I think they are going to try to get another first. And I think part of that is that they know they got to take a lot of shots at this. They got to have those assets. And I think they're going to try. And by trading Sean Walker, if that's what they do, they will get some assets. I just think that Sealer, to me, makes more sense as a trade chip given the fact they have young guys coming given the fact that it helps to have more mid-round picks given the fact that having him like i guess their thought process for for re-signing him is he's so important to the culture they're trying to build that even if he's an overpaid seven he's not actually an overpaid seven because yeah, maybe an on-ice value, he's not worth 2.5 mil a year, but if you account for the locker room value and the value of you know having a guy that can come in who is good when invariably someone or multiple players in the defense get hurt, that is important. And it's also important that you have a guy where if none of Andre or Jenning or Adder or whatever, if none of them are ready for next year, you have a good player who you know fits your system who you can slide into the top six. I get that. I just personally value more the, the knowledge that those guys aren't going to be unnecessarily blocked by a decent 31-year-old. Personally, that is that is my view of the situation. If the Flyers choose to resign him, it's because they believe that things like culture and things of having a not even necessarily a backup plan, but having a good like plan one B if one of the kids if none of the kids prove ready to grab a spot in camp, they think having Sealer as that plan one B is worth maybe over maybe having an overpaid seven for two three years and looking at looking at the usage of mark stall this year i know we're all like well you know torts is never going to take sealer out of the lineup you just said it and i said it on monday but it is like if we we all thought the same thing about mark stall that that was a real possibility mark stall never plays yeah and when he does play he he is truly a seven when he does play he plays like five minutes but i guess the, the the reason why and I will acknowledge I am very impressed that John Tortorell has stuck to his guns and not fallen in love with the the concept of Mark Stahl and overplayed him and instead has prioritized the development of Igor Zamola. I I acknowledge that 
he's done well there. However, Mark Stahl also has a has a cap at under a mil. Yes. And Mark Stahl is also much older than Nick Sealer. And Nick Sealer is a guy who has been here since Torts has been here. He's built up a respect for him that he, yes, he coached Mark Stahl, but he coached Mark Stahl in his prime. Yeah. Not this version of Mark Stahl. I just am, I remain skeptical that they will actually bench Nick Sealer if they sign him to a two, three-year deal. Maybe they will. And you know what? Maybe you are confident enough by watching their treatment of Mark Stahl that you believe they will. That's fair. I still have some doubts. I obviously have doubts about that, but like culture is definitely important. It is. Absolutely. Culture is absolutely, it's very clear. Like what are the flyers missing? High end talent. Why are they in the standings place of teams that do have high end talent because of their culture and their work ethic right now, asset management, very important as well. And that's like, the difference between planning for now and planning for the future. When I talk about a window, obviously the gold standard is the what, three cups in six years by the Chicago Blackhawks. Sure. That's of, of the cup era of the cap era. That's the gold standard being able to replace. Like you don't think like Dustin Bufflin, Christopher Stieg, Brower, Ladd, Brian Campbell, like these guys weren't important to the team's culture after they won the first cup. They were, yeah. but they were able to replace them because they properly managed some assets. They also had that pyramid scheme going right. where it was like, well, Brad Richards, if you sign for a mill, uh, you know, you're, you're coming to a team that can win a cup. And it's like, well, you can't win the cup unless I sign for a mill. <laughs> exactly. They had an excellent pyramid scheme. It was brother. brilliant. It, it, really it was. was absolutely brilliant. Yeah. But yeah. like the, uh, the Detroit Red Wings, even when there wasn't a cap, did the same thing for years. You're able to do that because you have the winning culture in place. Yeah, you, you become a destination yes. for teams. And hopefully that's what they're able to do. But just like pointing out, like you're going to lose guys. That's what happens. Yeah. No matter how much the cap goes up, you're not going to be able to keep everybody. Having the organizational depth and then the assets still to replace those dudes is very important. And making these not gigantic moves at the time, like trading Nick Sealer, is how you kind of replenish that stockpile. I also, and this is something that I, I don't remember if I articulated this on Monday, but it is a concern of mine. I just don't know how many of these culture guys you actually need because they have a they have a lot of them. How like, strong is the culture if fifty percent of your roster has to be culture guys? Exactly. Like, let, and, and I think I articulated this in our Discord. Join our Discord, become a diehard member, and you can talk to me basically whenever you want. I'm in there all the time. But anyway, I brought up that. I would be a lot more, it's not even that I would be a lot more, I would be completely open and if not supportive of re-signing Nick Sealer if you paired that with a Risto line and trade, if you traded Risto. Because to me, it's like, okay, you're keep, you want to keep Nick Sealer in large part because of the culture, but you're also overpaying Rasmus Ristolainen because of the culture, because you want to have that big physical presence. Like, do you really need a third of your defense primarily being here because of culture. When you also have, you didn't trade Scott Lawton because of the culture. You, you, you have Nick Delorier because of the culture. Like, I guess I can, I can acknowledge that you should have some guys here for the culture, but do you need like a quarter of your roster to be here primarily for the culture? I personally don't think you do, which makes it harder for me to be like, it makes it harder for me to accept that, you have to keep Nick Sealer because, well, if you lose him, what's it going to do to the culture? It's like, well, then why, like, isn't that why you said you couldn't trade Scott Lawton? How many of these guys do you really need? 
yeah, like if this if this culture is the most important thing and it's also somehow held together with like bubblegum and, <laughs> and popsicle sticks, like is it really that like and I don't think that's the case. I think they could afford to lose some of these guys. But- I, I just I just think that and I'm not and again. I'm not saying that culture isn't real. It's very clearly real. We're seeing it this year with this Flyers team where you look at it from top to bottom on paper and you say, this team shouldn't be this good, and they just keep winning. This team is a perfect example of the importance of culture. However, I do wonder how much of the culture explanation is not actually you need them for the culture, and it's more that the people at the top really want these kinds of guys on the team because it makes them feel good and warm inside about the team that they are running. Like, do you really need Rasmus Ristolainen and and Nick Sealer, or do you really want a big hitter because you love hits and you think that's what hockey should be? And then you really want Nick Sealer because he sticks up for his teammates. Like, I'm not saying these things aren't important. I'm just saying, are these things really essential or they, are they just essential because the guys at the top of the flyers, they want this to be their team stylistically. We're going to talk a little bit more about that in a second, but first I got to take a quick time out, tell you about our friends at mortgage CS today's show and everyday show are brought to you by mortgage CS. What does that CS stand for? It's mortgage concierge service. That's right. What do you think that means? It means the absolute best customer service around. Mortgage CS is an independent mortgage bur- broker based right here in Philadelphia. They have uh, they get the opportunity to give full control of the lenders they work with, and they are available 24-7 for you. And most importantly, these guys... They're freaking experts, man. Like, they actually get this from the ground up. That's why I tell you, no matter where you are in the home buying process, you're going to want to give CEO Ben Stucker a call or a text because he can fill you in, and he's got the ability to kind of break it down for you in a way you'll understand. Both of us, Charlie and I, have been through the home buying process recently. It is sucks. <laughs> I, it's, it's a ton of work. It's way more than most people are able to handle or comprehend. I wish I had mortgage CS when I was going through this. And I say that because when we sat down with Ben and Alec, they were able to not only tell us everything that they uh, provide for their customers, they're able to do it in a way that you can understand and empower you to make the right decision for your mortgage decisions. You can't get that without the expertise that they have over at Mortgage CS. So make sure you give Ben Stucker a call. It's right there on the screen. If you're listening via pod 267-391-7425, not only will he talk to you if you're looking, oh, maybe I want to just see what it's going to take for to be able to buy a home in the next year or so. Maybe you're in the process right now. You're not really sure what the hell you're doing. Listen, I've been there. <laughs> He's able to walk you through it. Anything that you need to know about this, they have the expertise to get that hey, done if you for just you. want to chat flyers, like what, and, I, what I want, I want the next time that me and Bill meet with, with Ben and Alec, I want them to tell us that like they are becoming more knowledgeable Flyers experts because of all the texts they're getting asking them questions and their opinions on the Flyers. That's what I want to hear. That would make me feel good. When you hear the word mortgage, think of Mortgage CS. Think of Ben and Alec. Save Ben's telephone number that I just gave you, 267-391-7425 to your phone or email Ben at ben at mortgagecs.com. 
Call or text Ben anytime, day or night. Talk Philly sports, talk home buying, whatever it is you want to chat with Ben about. He'll get back to you. Uh, and check out MortgageCS.com slash PHLY to get started. That's MortgageCS.com slash PHLY. This advertisement is not a commitment to lend or extend credit. Mortgage CX, Mortgage CS is an equal housing opportunity mortgage broker. All loans are subject to credit approval. Certain restrictions may, may apply. Company NMLS ID number one four. 64766. Visit mortgagecs.com for more information. Make sure you go to mortgagecs.com slash PHLY because that helps me out. And that's really what this is all about is the glorification of Bill Matz. Uh, that's Note why it. I'm in this business, quite Note honestly. <laughs> uh, listen, we, we've been on this Nick Sealer discussion for a while. And I just want to ask, is... I believe that this team is building culture the right way, and clearly, yeah, I, I think we both agree. Clearly, that. it's a group. They stick up for each other. They, they each like other. each other. Yeah. That happens a lot when you win. Um, sometimes I think it's like a chicken and egg conversation. It, it is absolutely a chicken. Like and egg you know, who has bad culture teams that lose? <laughs> you know why losing sucks? Yeah, is culture sometimes a like catch-all explanation for? puck luck or like things break like hey we're all happy things are going well the culture's good and it's like well you actually just won a bunch of shootouts like they're four and one in the shootout they're usually zero and five like what? Yeah. you know no it's it, it's a reasonable point i mean that's the tough I part don't, i'm not no, saying that's no, the but, case but that's the tough part about culture because it's so nebulous like it's so freaking nebulous in the sense that you have it and then you don't like i saw someone in our uh, in our comment section here uh watching the show basically said look at the eagles and that's a completely fair point exactly. because for the first 11 weeks of the eagles season we thought the eagles culture was great they had so many vets you know you got jason kelsey you got fletcher cox you got brandon graham you got like Lane Johnson, you have all these guys that not only are they good players, they're supposed to be culture guys, that the Eagles culture is so strong that they are able to win games that other teams would lose. And then over the final six, seven weeks of the season, the whole thing falls apart to a degree that they are a total embarrassment with all those same guys. So was it that the culture was never that strong to begin with? Or was it that when teams start losing almost every culture will fracture a bit. And I don't I think, know, it's, but it's an interesting question. And I think that gets to where I've been for a while. Yeah, all that other stuff is important. You know what's important? Having the best players. And like, <laughs> oh, yeah, Eagles, uh, they can't stop anyone on defense. That's because they completely ignored two positions on defense. Yeah. And then they decided to bring old guys no, back it, it, for there's, another. There's like, a lot of different elements. But <laughs> yes. again, like we have we have Steve on here saying, Torts and Sirianni are polar opposites right now. Flyers would kill for Torts. Eagles would just kill Sirianni. That's fair. However, if you can't envision a scenario in a year's time where the Flyers lose eight straight games and the team wants to kill torts, like, come on. That, that, yeah. That's a very easy to envision this scenario. Does, this, does not, <laughs> this does not take a vivid imagination exactly. to, to dream up. Exactly. Like, this is something that I'm waiting on. Quite a, like, <laughs> you know? All right. So, like, that's the Nick sealer of this. But just in terms of overall, like, looking ahead a little to the trade deadline, I just, when we were doing... Doing this because I'm like okay, like trading. It doesn't just have to be for picks. It could be for like a young prospect. Or I heard, uh, yeah. I mean, if you, if somebody's willing to give you a young prospect, I, I, for what if, no, just our, uh, <laughs> I don't think they would. I think there's hey. a really good comparable here. You know, at X uh, Jay Sequella, our boy Johnny Sack, Johnny Sack, yeah. Um, 
friend of the he pod. made he made a, a point on Twitter that I bookmarked so I could I could bring up on the show. Love that for you. The think of maybe instead of targeting a pick, you try to make a Danny Markov for Justin Williams reversal trade, like a young. Guy. I mean, that's a great trade. I, I do not know if the if that those trades even happen anymore. But yeah, <laughs> like, that would rule. I'm just like a young guy, like. <laughs> Another team's Morgan Frost, maybe Morgan Frost from a couple weeks ago. A dude that is good, uh, a regarded prospect who might be aging out of that. Okay, well, now he's 24. He's not a prospect. And the team is just down on him a little. Like, it's not uh, so much an indictment of the player as maybe their place in the organization. Maybe you're able to target something like that. Like, it doesn't have to be, okay, we trade him for a pick and then draft a player and then that's like... It could be many things. You can package. You talked about getting another first-round pick. They have, between this draft and next draft, four seconds. You get some more assets. Like You have that third yeah. first-round pick, whether you're able to trade for one or not. It is an interesting point, and I think you know I, I immediately dismissed it because, look, the Markoff for Williams trade, obviously I, that worked out unbelievably well for the other side, and I think teams have learned a little bit from trades like that. You would hope. However... The more I think about it, like, yeah, I guess maybe I am, maybe I am still a little shell-shocked from living through the Chuck Fletcher tenure (laughs) where, like, Chuck Fletcher was, like, maybe the least creative GM I have ever seen. And the idea of making a creative trade like that under him was just never going to happen. Like, one guy I think of, and I'm not saying the Flyers could have done this deal or whatever. I don't know exactly what Minnesota was looking for. Maybe they only wanted picks, but... You mentioned him a few few minutes ago, Jordan Greenway. Minnesota was a playoff team last year. They decided Jordan Greenway no longer fit, and they were willing to move him. They got picks for him. Now, could I envision a scenario where, let's say, the Flyers are where they are now last year, and the Flyers are intrigued by Jordan Greenway, and they go to Minnesota, who is trying to make a playoff push, and they say, look, you know Nick Sealer. He's from Minnesota. He's been here. You like him. What if we give you, what if we, instead of offering you a second and a fifth for Jordan Greenway, what if we offer you Nick Sealer and a fourth? Maybe that's equivalent value. And suddenly you're not selling from a playoff team. You are swapping guys. And yeah, we're getting the guy with young, younger upside than Nick Sealer, but you're getting a guy that can help you win a playoff round. Maybe you can be a little creative in terms of the offers you make and maybe try to find a buy low guy who you know, a buy low guy on a team that is trying to contend. And then they can use that buy that we're selling low on a guy. Sure. But we're getting back a guy in seal. who can help us win. Now I'm not saying there's a trade like that out there, but if Danny Breer is truly a more creative general manager than Chuck Fletcher was, and I think he is, those are the kinds of deals that he should maybe be on the eye out for. I think most of the people in this chat right now are more creative GMs than Chuck (laughs) Fletcher. Anyway, just this other thought that I had, about what the Flyers should be targeting, whether it's Nick Sealer or whoever they end up trading over the next couple of years. Um, we know that general managers, because like their careers are, I'm not going to be here in two years, so who cares? Yeah, they, 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 value, like they value the here and now far more than the future. Sure. Should the Flyers be targeting picks in the 25-26 range, 2025-2026 years, mm-hmm. so that one... Maybe, all right, we'll give you a third. Well, it's in two years. We'll give you a second. Oh, we'll give you a second. No, it's actually a first in two years. Like something like that 
for one, get a higher pick, and two, they have that asset when they're going to need to send to sell it for help on a team right, that when, is actually in contention. When they're trying to add at the trade deadline rather than sell. It's an interesting it's point. Just a thought. What I can tell you is that NHL teams, and by NHL teams, I mean NHL GMs, they absolutely look at it as a 2025 first round pick is less valuable than a yeah. 2024 because of just the idea of, well, I want the pick now. That is absolutely true. However, you raise an interesting point that you're going to need those assets down the road. And especially if someone like Danny Briere believes he has a lot of job security and he's going to be around for a while, maybe he can use that, that job, that knowledge of job security to get higher picks by being willing to wait two or three years for those picks to manifest. It's a fair point. It's just, interesting. Just a thought I had. Uh, something else, another thought I have, it's that you got to shop with FOCO, baby. <laughs> that was a good uh, transition. I, I guess. It was pretty solid. Underrated. <laughs> FOCO has the absolute best officially licensed gear for all sports and fandoms. Whether you're looking for team apparel for the season ahead, they've got overalls, hoodies, hats, sunglasses, bags, anything you need for game day, or maybe you need some accessories, toys, collectibles, or novelty items for your man cave, she shed, or podcast set, you've got to use FOCO for all your team gear needs. FOCO always has our back for Philly sports and they have yours too. get the best gear around by using the link in the description of this show. And for all non presale items, use the promo code PHLY10 for 10% off. That's PHLY10 for 10% off at FOCO today. Shop there. I'm begging you. Uh, <laughs> I don't think that's as good of a tagline as like get your overalls. Get your overalls. Yeah. I'm we just got to find a new thing. We do. I highlight. like the straw hat. The but it's like, I mean, that's more that's going to be more thing. for yeah. It's that's going to be thing. more an off season. Thing, yeah, that, that's like I say around April is when you can be wearing the straw yeah. hats. When when Philly's tailgate season. When kicks I up. get back from there my WrestleMania vacation, uh, we can <laughs> we can. Uh, I can't Love wait that. to put in for those days off. All right, let's move on to uh, another blue liner right now. Someone we're a little more excited about. It's Dry Guy, the Fly Guy. I'm gonna drive this into the ground. Love it, um, Jamie Drysdale. <laughs> And his uh, his absence over the last two games, he shows up, he impresses the hell out of all of us for a uh, for a couple of games. And then suddenly the man is sick. Now, I happen to believe that he is. sick. (laughs) Listen to me talk right now. It is uh, not out of the realm of possibility that he has a head cold or something (laughs) like, uh, yeah, it's. Everyone I know is sick or like, you know, Julia right here has had a cough for three weeks. She told me last time we talked like, you know, a lot of people are freaking sick right now. The weather's insane. It was 45 a couple of days ago. Today, it's 18. I think they even caught Drysdale coughing on the bench in his debut. (laughs) So like there is actual visual evidence that he is sick. this guy. And like, let's think about where he was like he's in Nashville getting ready to go to Florida. He has to get on a nah, you ain't going, dog. Dude <laughs> probably doesn't have a hoodie with him. <laughs> like, he's got to get on a plane at 3 a.m. to get to Philly from Nashville. And then he gets right on a plane to go to Minnesota and Winnipeg, the coldest places in the freaking this side of the globe, yeah. basically. Yeah. And then like play these games, all new environment, all bunch of dudes he hasn't been around, like who all all of whom were just sick in the last two weeks. We know that to be true. It's not crazy to believe that he's actually sick like they're telling us. It's very believable. However, you and I spend a lot of time on Flyers Twitter where, and I'm one of you, 
<laughs> people are fucking insane. <laughs> like it's just it's just the truth. We need to accept that we are all insane people. You are listening to a Daily Flyers pod and thank you very much for it. But like this is you're a minority of crazy people. You know, that's what hockey fans are and the ones on Twitter especially out of their mind. It's self-selected. There is some yeah. there is some question whether he's actually sick. About whether he's actually <laughs> sick or this is yet another and we'll see when he's back. Yeah, right. Sort of. And the Flyers, while there has been, I think, a pretty solid uh, effort amongst the fans to be like, new regime, we're giving them the benefit of the doubt. We have no reason to doubt these people yet. The injury stuff is the one, I think, like remaining. Oh, you know, the Flyers are just making it up. They have no idea. He's yeah. probably out for the year. Yeah, he's got a concussion. They're, yeah. just, they're just saying he's got like headaches like, or some bullshit. fell off on that back check. Like, He's got to get a new leg. Here, here's the thing I will say to that. Because <laughs> you make a really good point that it does seem like Flyers fans are, in most ways, willing to yeah. accept that this is a new regime, you know, new style, that they're being open and honest. It's the injury thing that they're still like, oh, wrist line, he's out for the year. Yeah. Like, they're not telling us. He's done. Never going to play no, again. He's on Ellis Island. Yeah, he's on Ellis Island. <laughs> I love like that, that Ellis Island. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. Okay, I think that's what we're going to call it from now on. Yes. He's on Ellis Island. Um. Point. Bring me your sick and we'll bury them. Oh my, <laughs> yeah. oh my God. But the, uh, the the point I'm making is this. I wrote an article on Sunday on allphly.com. If you haven't read it, check it out. And it was sort of me tying the bow on the Cutter Gautier saga. And the point that I made is that the the way that played out in terms of how the fans responded shows me, number one, and this was the main point I made in the article, that the new regime of Jonesy and Briere and Torts and even the players to a degree, they have a much better understanding of how this fan base ticks and how to like feed them the kind of red meat that gets them on their side, as opposed to the Fletcher regime, which like I think Chuck Fletcher and like I've said this on the show multiple times and Chuck Fletcher is actually a really good dude. I think he is one of the better people I have met one better people that I have met in the game since I've started covering hockey, Chuck Fletcher would have responded to the Cutter Gauthier situation with inoffensive corporate speak of, you know, he has every right to make that decision. And we, we made a trade that we thought is the best for us. And what that would have resulted in, even if you would, you remove the fact that everyone hated Chuck Fletcher, but even if people like Chuck Fletcher, a lot more people would have responded to that, I believe, by being like, the Flyers screwed this up. This is their fault. They didn't They didn't say the right thing to Gautier, and we're going to yell at the Flyers. The way that this Flyers regime positioned it yeah. was very catered to Philadelphia in, was... that, in that if you don't want to be here, we don't want you here. Fuck you. Yeah. Get out of here. Next time you're here, we're going to boo the shit out of you. Dan Hilferty basically said, Good luck. <laughs> I am expecting him to get eviscerated yeah. When he comes no, back. He was, and like that's the kind of shit that Philadelphia fans eat up. And yes. I think that's a big reason why there weren't many Flyers fans after the Gautier saga who yelled at the Flyers. All of their anger was directed towards Gautier. And you cannot tell me that that was not intentional on the part of the Flyers. That was a planned public, was public very, relations strategy. Very well executed. But how this goes back to the Drysdale thing is if you were willing to accept that public relations blitz by the flyers and not blame them basically at all for the cutter Gautier thing. If you were willing to accept that, maybe accept the possibility that Jamie Drysdale <laughs> is actually sick. 
I, and that's like I can almost see people be like, yeah, I'm not I'm not a hundred percent. You know, I'll give them ninety percent, <laughs> but this last ten, and there is the built-in. He missed all but you know, the, like the, what the first eight games of last season with the torn labrum. He missed time this year. He did miss time. And, he and, just and the, came back and, December and the, 21st. And the lower body injury, I will acknowledge. The, the torn labrum is a torn labrum. You know what? Like, kind of a fluke injury. You saw Morgan Frost deal with the, the separated shoulder that killed his season where he needed, he needed shoulder surgery. Those are kind of fluke injuries. I will acknowledge the lower body injury for Drysdale has been nebulous. He never revealed what it was in Anaheim. We gave him the opportunity to talk about it here, and he kind of dodged the question. He's like, well, I feel good enough to play. So I do I do un- understand why there is a little concern that there might be like something that he is playing through that the end of the season might require surgery. Like I could see that being a possibility. However, I do think it's unlikely that the Flyers are lying about him being sick, given the fact that the entire week he had last week – it puts you in the position where you are likely to get sick. Yes or no. The lower body injury was actually pubic plate detachment. Oh God, please don't bring that up. <laughs> Just the only time Poor they've Mark ever Strike. told us anything <laughs> other than lower body or upper body. It was, yep. Broke his penis. Uh, <laughs> just the absolute funniest shit. I will never not think of whenever it's lower body injury. That's what I the think. The best it is part now. about that was, and Fletcher, like aside from the the very weird ones, you know, obviously the Atkinson, the Ellis, uh, the Patrick, and I think a lot of those are driven by the player not wanting it yeah. to come out. Fletcher, generally speaking, his regime was pretty open about revealing what injuries were. As opposed to Rod Hextall, who didn't tell you a damn thing, no. which is what made the Mark Streit thing so funny, was that he never told the media or the fans anything about injuries except Pubic the most disgusting detachment. injury yes. possible. Uh, just <laughs> absolutely ridiculous. Um, just uh, sickness aside. Yes. Do you have, I guess, is the major concern about Dr- Jamie Drysdale? Because in the two games we got to see him, Man, it ain't his skill set. No, he looks Is real the good. main concern durability? I mean, I guess, honestly, for me, no. Okay. But I tend to be a little bit more optimistic than most about injuries. I get why there's durability concerns. Obviously, he missed pretty much all of last year. He got banged up this year, and he's small. That's the big thing. He's smallish. He's 5'11", like 185, something like that. He's not a big, sturdy guy. I tend to think that's a little overblown because, like, Ristolainen is huge, and he's gotten hurt quite a few times yeah. since joining the Flyers, so I don't think size is as big of an indicator of who's going to get hurt and who's not as fans want to believe. However, it does play into the narrative of small guy, missed all last year, he's already been hurt this year, is this going to be a problem where he just continuously gets banged up? I'm more concerned about whether, like, if you look at his results thus far in his NHL career, his his impacts at even strength, you know, his ability to create on the pie, the power play and five on five offensively. Those numbers don't live up to his plausible upside. So my big concern is that they're never going to be able to get the upside that is there out of dry zone. That's a much bigger concern of mine than durability. That said, yeah, durability is a concern. I suspect durability was one of the reasons why Anaheim was willing to discuss trading him in the first place. So I don't think it should be brushed aside. But for me personally, durability is not my primary concern with Drysdale. It's whether they can actually get the dormant top pair impact player out of him. 
Listen, Flyers have won four in a row. I think people are pretty high on this team right now. We're looking for something, looking for something to kind of, you know, I think next Sunday, we were all hoping maybe to be watching a divisional round playoff yeah, game. That ain't happening. Although, let's be clear. If, if the Eagles would have somehow beaten the Bucs, they were going to lose the Lions 50 to nothing. I, I had it in my <laughs> head that they there was a possibility they had some secret plan to unleash. And it okay. was like, ah, we're back. Gotcha. You were listening but, to Chad Ochocinco? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but unfortunately, that's not the case. But... The Flyers having won four in a row. They're coming back home. They have a homestand coming up. They're playing tomorrow night. Uh, They have a game on Saturday uh, against the Avs. That's always fun when the Avs come to town. Sunday, Claude Giroux is coming back. If you want to see this team up close and in person, you got to do it with Game Time. Buying tickets to your favorite events shouldn't be stressful. Game Time is the fast and easy way to buy tickets for all the sports, music, comedy, and theater near you. With killer deals on last-minute tickets and their best price guarantee, you can stop stressing over the tickets and start getting hyped for the fun you'll have. Game Time is the place for last-minute ticket deals. Forget planning months in advance. Game Time has deals on tickets right up to the day of the event. Get exclusive flash deals on tickets for football, basketball, Baseball, concerts, comedy, theater, and more. The game time guarantee means you'll always get the best price. If you find tickets in the same section of row for less, game time will credit you 110% of the difference. So snag the tickets without the stress with game time. Download the game time app, create an account, and use code PHLY for $20 off your first purchase. Terms apply. Again, create an account, redeem code PHLY for $20 off. Download game time today. Last minute tickets, lowest price guaranteed uh i didn't even realize we have a real we have a real blue line theme going today so i want to keep that going uh for this next topic i wanted to bring up to you okay uh i saw you responding to one of those charts i don't understand on twitter Mm -hmm. uh show you some sort of information uh but i understand what like arrow pointing down means so that's probably not good uh travis sandheim we spent a lot of time talking about him this season Becoming that number one, or you know, at least a top pair top caliber, pair yeah. top pair caliber defenseman. Uh, really strong start to the season, especially offensively. I thought. I think I've noticed him making a few more defensive plays lately. But nine points in his last twenty six games, none in his last nine. Is Sanheim having the year we thought he was having a month ago? Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. I, so this stems from, and this was literally like I had had a glass of whiskey. I went up to bed and then I saw Garrett Hull, who I respect a lot, basically yeah. post like, what's wrong with Travis Sanheim? And my answer was basically, there's nothing wrong with him. He's really good. He had a bad year last year. He posted a chart from Micah Blake McCurdy. Mike is very much a friend of the podcast. Um, I suspect that probably in the offseason, we will have him on as a guest. If he wants to be on, he's great. Um, His model believes that over the last two seasons, Travis Sanheim has been a third-pair quality defenseman. I strongly disagree with that. The reason why I strongly disagree with it is because the way Micah's model works is that it's not just a this-year model. It is a model that takes into account the previous year's results as well. 
Travis Sanheim, according to his model, had been a first pair quality defenseman every year of his career, had a really bad year last year, and then this year, because last year was so bad, and because Cam York, by the numbers, had a really good year last year and has been Travis Sanheim's primary partner, the, the model's belief is that Travis Sanheim is still the player from last year and he's being carried by Cam York. My opinion, based on watching the pairing all year, is that that is not the case. It is, if anything, the opposite. Travis Sanheim is the one on that pair doing all the stuff, and Cam York is the one just kind of being the support guy for Sanheim. That's one of the reasons why I disagree with it. And also because, so there's another model that I personally use more often, RAPM. Uh, it's uh, basically regularized adjusted plus minus. It's on evolvinghockey.com um you have to have a subscription for it i pay for that subscription uh the twins are great i love their work rapm is much more focused on one season it doesn't take into account what a guy did the previous year it's just taking into account the, pr the production and the results from this individual season by that mark and i'm going to find this right now on travis sanheim travis sanheim this year by rapm in terms of his impact on expected goals is 52nd out of 233 defensemen in the NHL that have played at least 200 minutes, which I'm doing the quick math here, puts him in the 77th percentile in terms of impact. Um, when you're talking about like play driving impact, basically, it's pretty darn good. And aside from last year, he has always been in that like top 25%. I think this is a case where Micah's model is wrong. I think that Travis Sanheim did legitimately have an awful season last he year. He was so bad. He was last so year. bad. And I think Micah's model has not quite caught up to the fact that that season was truly an outlier. And this is the real Travis Sanheim. Now, getting back to your original question of is Travis Sanheim slumping a bit? I do think offensively he's dipped. I think that part of that may have been. The fact that they ran him into the ground a little bit over the first two and a half months. They definitely tried to pull back on his usage leading into the Christmas break. It's up a bit now, but they're still not giving him the 26 minutes a night that they were giving him in October and November, to be sure. But you still look at his overall season. This is a guy who has 25 points in 43 games. He is very much on pace to crack 40 points. I think he will. I think he could easily end up approaching 50. He's still on the power play. Now, we'll see if that changes once uh, once Drysdale comes back. They want to keep Zamula on there. I think they're still going to keep Sanheim as that flanker on the power play, which will give him some opportunities to score points. Granted, it's the Flyers' power play. Who knows how many points there are even to be scored on the Flyers' power play, though they are in a good run, which is cool. I do not think that Travis Sanheim's season is falling off a cliff. I do not think that his season is secretly not that good. I think he is having a legitimately very good year. I very much respect Micah's model, but I do think that if you know, there, there's, a, there's, a, there's a saying in modeling and not by modeling as in like attractive people being taken pictures of, I'm talking about like statistical modeling that I, mean, I want to make sure I get this right, but it's that, um, is that no models, like no models are perfect, but they can be useful. And I think Micah's model is 
very, very well done, but it has blind spots. And I think this particular case is a blind spot for the model in that it thinks Travis Sanheim is the guy from last year, where if you look at his entire career and if you watch the games, it's clear that he's the one driving the bus on his pair and that last year was an outlier. All right. Uh, I just, my main concern is the Pelly Lindbergh Award. I want to make sure you the want three, him to win the Pelly. I want to make sure the three Pete is still uh, is still possible. You're telling me it is, and that is uh, that's a good thing. Now it is Wednesday, but it's also just another Mailbag Monday. Hey, uh, we have a couple of questions, and it's funny because these are actually from a couple of them are from last Monday, and of course we never got to that because. Uh, Something happened. <laughs> yeah, it was a little bit big. Yeah, coaching. I mean, I was going to do a, a, my usual double mailbag. The uh, the first part being everyone on Twitter. Second part being our diehards. I was planning to do that next week because I thought next week was going to, you know, just be like a, you know, a, a normal everyday Flyers week. I was planning to go on that trip. So I wasn't going to be covering games. I was like, oh, perfect. I'll do the mailbag in, in you know to replace the game stories I won't be writing because I'll be watching Boston College and I'll be watching the London Knights. Instead, they trade a Cutter Gauthier, and that was my entire content plan. That mailbag will hopefully happen later this week on allphly.com. Check that out. But, yes, we should do a couple mailbag questions. Just a few to, wrap, a few up today's to wrap up today's show, even though it's not a Monday. Uh, this is it's, – it's funny because the first one I'm going to go to is from, like, a couple hours before the trade. Uh, and it's from Ru- at Ruben Germstov, which is very funny. Yeah, it's pretty good. Um, I respect it. Do the Flyers bring G back on a bargain average annual value in 2026 for the cup run with Mitchkov and let's sub in Drysdale for Gauthier? <laughs> <laughs> it says Mitchkov and Gauthier. Uh, he was traded a few hours later. Let's sub in anyone else. Uh, but do you see a world in which, and a couple people have asked me this over the last few weeks. I've had a couple of you this as well. And uh, like, I get it. Do you see a world in which G is ever back? Yes, but it would have to be under very specific circumstances. Really? So here, here is my, and I actually had a conversation with my friends about that, one of my friend about, or a friend of mine about this last night. The thing with bringing Giroux back now and why it would not happen, like I know that there are going to be people on social media like, Ottawa sucks, trade for G, get him back, we're good again, let's supercharge this He's home. The reason why they won't, it's not even that Drew doesn't want it. It's not even that Ottawa wouldn't be willing to do it. I do not think the Flyers would be interested for this reason. One of the reasons why, after they traded Drew, they did not actively pursue bringing him back in free agency. Because I think Drew, I do not know for a fact if he would have done it, but I think he would have at least been open to the idea. It was... Timeline-wise, he would have accepted a trade to somewhere other than Florida if Chuck Fletcher gave him the assurance he would bring him back. Since he was not given that assurance, he said, well, fuck you, I'm only going to Florida. Yeah, I, I, I can't confirm one way or the other whether that's true, that's but, I, but, I, but I know that was the rumor. Um, I do believe, based on what I've heard, that Drew would have been open to the idea of coming back that summer. The Flyers made it clear that he just wasn't in the cards, so he went to Ottawa. Maybe he would have went to Ottawa anyway, but it at least would have been a decision for Drew to make had the Flyers made an offer comparable to the one Ottawa made. I think the reason why the Flyers were iffy on it, you could say, well, it's because Chuck Fletcher's an idiot and like you're certainly free to believe that. But <laughs> I think the way they looked at it was it's not even that they thought Drew was a bad leader and that, that he was the reason for the problems in the room and everything like that. But they believe that if Drew came back, 
there would never be a reason for anyone else to step up into a leadership role because everyone would just naturally just defer to Giroud because it's Giroud's team. He's a legend. He's, you know, a borderline hockey Hall of Famer, definitely a Flyers Hall of Famer, almost certainly going to get his number retired at some point. And I still think we are close enough to Giroud's exit that if you were to trade for Giroud again and bring him back in a month, that guys like Lawton and Konechny and Sanheim and even Couturier, who are stepping into the role of running the room, would immediately step back and say, gee, it's your room again. You're, you're a legend. You're the captain again. He's back. And I don't think that's what they want. They do. They want this room because they really like the way it's developing. They want this room to continue to develop naturally the way it's developed. They want guys like Joel Farabee to step into leadership roles. That won't necessarily happen if Drew comes back. However, let's say two years down the road, the Flyers have made the playoffs three straight years or two straight years. Now they are a borderline cup contender. Mitch Koff is awesome. And there are very clear leaders. Then I think they would say, okay, we can bring Giroux back in a depth role and him coming back isn't necessarily going to mean he immediately becomes the captain again. Then he can just be a part of this rather than the guy. I think that is is very important to them for Giroux not to come back in and disrupt what they feel like is a really, really positive locker room culture. And it's not a negative against Giroux. It's not that they think Giroux is an asshole and that he's not a good leader and that he doesn't try hard. It's just that they like having the young guys stepping into that role and they know if you bring Giroux back right now, that could fuck that up. I would never, like, I accept, I don't accept the premise G was a bad captain because I like, ask Wayne Simmons and he'll fight you. Yeah, exactly. Like, but clearly the organizational culture needed a reset. And... With him right now, I don't think that would be possible. And I think that's why the question is like 2026, right, you know? Right. And maybe that's maybe that's feasible. I just I, think I, like I, he's I, I, could see, I could see a heroic who, like when he's 38, 39 and still pretty good, he comes back and it's like, we I got just, G back. This is I great. Guess I guess because see that. this is his like second home, I just see it as like he went to the Senators, he's home. Like this is where people wrap up their career. It's just a weird story. I guess if he comes back here, it wouldn't be that odd. But like, I just, I don't see it. I, I love G, but I kind of think it's over. Like, it, I think it, it that very time has well passed. might be over. The only one of the big reasons why I still leave the door open a bit is he is showing basically no signs of he's slipping. Just as good as he was and when he left. At some point, you're like, well, if he's still playing when he's 39. Maybe, <laughs> and he might be because he's still good. He is. He is pretty damn good still. He's real close to a point a game. I think last year was the most goals he's ever scored in his career. Like it's wild. He's, he's, he's good. He's still um, a really good player. Because he's thirty six years old. Because we're low on time. The next question is selfishly going to be from Bill in Sewell. Uh, what would it take? To get Trevor Zegers, I feel like this is probably something that like <laughs> we, we can do a whole we show. can do a whole show yeah. on the Trevor Zegers idea. I wanted to get it in because I put his name in the preview. What, what I'll say, I don't and, want to false and I said this to Bill before the show. You have to remember that he like last week was um, diagnosed with an ankle injury. He's out for six to eight weeks. I do not think the Flyers are going to trade for Trevor Zegers while they are in the midst of a playoff race for a guy who's out for six to eight weeks. I don't think there is a sense of urgency that Trevor Zegers has to be traded for now. I, I just don't. And I also think that if the Flyers were close enough for 
this to be a legitimate option to happen in the next like few weeks, he would have just been folded into the Drysdale deal. That and, and he wasn't, which tells me that even if they have been talking to them about Trevor Zegers, that nothing is imminent. I believe, like when you say he would have just been folded into the Drysdale deal, I think in typical circumstances, you're absolutely right. I think the Flyers in this instance, we could dispute that maybe some just in that they were afraid this was going to come out. There were a bunch of teams in on Gauthier. They thought they were in a time crunch, an information crunch, that this was going to get to a point where, ah, fuck, we're not even going to get Jamie Drysdale now. We're going like, to get a second-round pick for our number five overall right. dude who just won gold medal. They wanted to strike while the iron was hot. They got back from Sweden and said, we got to do this because we just went across the world and he wouldn't look at us. We have <laughs> to do this right now. Yikes. Like... I typically would agree, and you, you could always like, okay, and we'll give you a first throw in Zegras. Okay, done deal. Handshake. Let's send the faxes because that's definitely how the NHL still works with fax machines. Um, I think there's a possibility. It's like, and we'll, we have each other's numbers. We'll keep this conversation yeah. going. And then, of course, like their first game after the trade, Zegers breaks his ankle. Right. So it's like, oh, well, uh, yeah, I'll call you in six to eight yeah, weeks. Yeah. Exactly, <laughs> like, exactly. So there's like some, but I, I think it's a possibility. But Look, also, the Flyers know they need centers. What do you think the price is? Just if you had to freestyle, and I know this is impossible. It's a pain in the ass. To, uh, whenever people ask me, I'm like, I don't know. Yeah. But like, you're smarter than me. My assumption, <laughs> With this and, and this is this is more of a guess than anything that I've heard. My assumption is that, because it's not like, it's not as if Anaheim is desperate to trade Trevor Zegers. The reason why they're open to trading Trevor Zegers is because suddenly they kind of have an abundance of riches at the center position. They have Leo Carlson, who they took with a you know a top three pick this past year. They have Mason McTavish, who they love. Now they have Cutter Gauthier, who like may or may yeah, not be a center. I mean, he might ultimately be better, be better on the wing if Trevor Zegers stays a duck. He's almost certainly going to be a winger. But if you trade Trevor Zegers, maybe suddenly Cutter Gauthier could be a center there too. Suddenly they have an abundance of riches, and they can use him to maybe fill holes elsewhere. But if you're thinking that the Flyers are going to be able to swoop in and get like get Trevor Zegers for, for a, a, a third? for a first round pick <laughs> and Emil Andre. Like, I don't think so. I think we're talking about they would have to give up. The Flyers would have to give up at least one legitimate quality young NHL player. Like the two guys that come to mind immediately for me, Owen Tippett or Cam York. Like to me, those cool. are the types of pieces that Anaheim is going to is going to be asking for. And I think they have every right to Trevor Zegers is a guy. Yes, he hasn't followed up that hot start when he was on highlight reels and was doing the Michigan and was the talk of the NHL. He hasn't followed that up with the kind of seasons maybe you would have expected him to. However, we're still talking about a young player with number one center potential. Teams don't give them away. So if you're going to get Trevor Zegras, it's going to hurt. It's going to hurt. Not saying that it can't be a good deal, but it's going to hurt. And I think it's going to hurt in the sense that you're going to have to give up at least one legitimately quality under 25 player. And like we we've said, like he might not be the one C people think he is based on his highlight reel. He's also a guy who at 20 and 21 had 61 and 65 points. Yeah. He's like a valuable if he, guy. If he takes another step, he is that at least in terms of like overall production. Uh, and that's, that's pretty much going to be a wrap on things. We can talk about a few other things, uh, you know, 
We have shows every day from now till Sunday. Oh, no, we're off Friday. So it's Thursday post-game, Saturday post-game, Sunday post-game. Yes. So join us for all of those. We will be here talking to you. But that is all the time we have for you today. Thank you all for listening. Thank you for hanging out. Uh, always remember that PHLY Flyers is presented by Mortgage CS. Check out MortgageCS.com slash PHLY to start your home buying process today. Company NMLS ID number 1464766. That'll do it for us. My name is Bill Matz for Charlie O'Connor. Have a great week, Philly. We all silly like the mayor. 